everybody. Welcome to After All In, the second episode of After All In. If you could say hi to me in the chat, that would be great. And I know people are listening. Last time I couldn't see people in the chat. Uh, pretty straightforward format here. You are likely, if you're here, fans of the All In pod and or this week at Startups. And you have questions for me. So I will take questions for you. Be polite. Uh, yeah, that's it. Be polite. I don't know say any clearly than that. Happy to take any questions about the pod or the pods, I should say, startups, venture capital, or the topics we talked about this week. So let's get right to it. I think maybe I'll just share the room. Let's see, share the room on Twitter. Uh, there we go, boom, I just tweeted it. And if people wanna come in here, download the app, they will. Okay, so I got seven callers lined up and 64 people live. Experimenting with times here, five o'clock is probably a terrible time to do this. I'm guessing the best time to do this. Hmm. It'll probably be at night. Seems like when people have nothing going on at probably seven Pacific time, 10 o'clock. I think that's when I saw a lot of people on services like um, um, Clubhouse uh, when I was playing with Clubhouse back when that was a thing. Okay, so let me know how my sound is. Uh, my my really good headset just ran out of battery, so I'm charging it. I'm using my Google Pixel Buds, which I love. Not using a professional microphone here uh, because that's hard to connect to an iPhone. But maybe if I keep doing this, I will set up a professional microphone here. So if you can go in the chat and tell me how do I sound. Uh, Five by five is crystal clear. Four by four, okay. Three by three, good. Two by two, breaking up. One by one, bad. That's the military ambulance way to do it. Okay, let's start taking calls. Looks like Gregory got in here first. Uh, I'll make you the next caller. Gregory is the next caller. I'll ask you to unmute yourself. Say something delightful to the world's greatest moderator, some praise something delightful and then ask your question please the everybody knows the format everybody knows the format here so gregory first <clears throat> thanks for hey, calling Jason. in and now you can say something delightful all right hey thanks for doing this again i really appreciate it it's uh great that you're uh reaching out to the fans uh love the fans great all right hey couple real quick ones um my son can't call in tonight. He's working and he's in college and he's at a state school. And, you know, you guys had talked about at maybe one point doing like a college tour, but, you know, he was talking about it to me and he's like, you know, all these guys always want to go to Stanford and Harvard and stuff. And he's like, I said, well, you know, Jason's didn't go to those kind of schools. So maybe he would be open to actually go into the, some of these schools that, you know, where you could really have some kids get some ideas of that you can make it from, going out of a, you know, where did you go to, was it, I can't remember what school you went to, but, you know, I, I know went to Fordham at, Fordham at night. Well, I mean, Fordham's not a bad school, but it's not. No, I'm not school. saying bad, I would say yeah. Stanford, you know. Yeah. So in terms of um, the college tour or all in summit 2023, um, I have one bestie who's in favor of it, one who's indifferent and one who um, is, um, 
what's the word? Cantankerous. So uh, I'll leave it to you to pick which one is which. There's three other besties. Uh, we'll put it to a vote eventually if the show makes it to next year. But I don't see us doing any other stuff. I mean, and that was part of the debate we had over the summer was I wanted to do more things and certain people didn't want to do anything or um, resent it. And I'm not speaking at school that we talked about this, but they, they resented me like, you know, uh, getting paid for doing different things or doing the work or whatever. So we just decided as a group, we would just do the podcast every week, see if we could get into a groove in that way. I think we're in a pretty great groove right now and just try to keep the show going. And so I will probably do an all in summit 2023 under a different brand name uh, with many of the same people. Um, and I probably will do a college tour on my own, maybe with Molly, maybe with Chamath, who knows, um, you know, set up a couple of dates, but I don't think we'll use the all in brand for either of those things. Great question. Okay, cool. Greg. All right. And hey, you know, uh, I was just going to say, Zach uh, shined in this last episode when you had the Adobe conversation. And what I really liked about it was you asked him a question, he answered, and then he thought about it for a while and he came back and then you let him respond again with a whole different answer. And I, I mean, it was him doing his best when he's doing, you know, business ad analysis over, you know, the Ukraine I, stuff. The majority of the fans would agree with you. I think um, a smaller portion of the fans very much love David's political takes. And when the show doesn't shine, in my opinion, and many people who listen to the show is when David, you know, gets really passionate about politics and starts, you know, going deep into the Ukraine stuff. And that seems to be when a lot of the controversy happens. He, he has a lot of um, followers who are pretty um, enthusiastic, would be, I guess, a kind way of saying it. And he, he, he not only has, the, you know, Republican folks which and conservatives, which I don't mind, but he's also got the MAGA group who really come in hard for him. It's probably why we're higher in the rankings is because we get both sides of the table. We get people who are in the left people who are moderates and people who are on the right. I'm an independent moderate, as many of you know. I voted for both Republican and Democrat, probably slightly more Democrats just because I lived in New York and California, and there's not as much of an opportunity to vote Republican. Um, but yeah, I, I think I really do not like talking about politics on the podcast. And you know, when David is doing a business discussion, I think he's not looking to try to win a debate. He's having a conversation. And my perception, and I've heard this from folks too, is when he is doing politics, he kind of goes into debate mode and, and wants to win as opposed to maybe have a conversation. Right. And so I think it's just a function of how passionate he is about politics. And I'm not going to sit there and not challenge him or anybody on the facts or ask them follow up questions on behalf of the audience, you know, as the moderator. So, you know, I think that's when we get people, you know, maybe, I'd say the majority of people do not want us to talk about politics, except in relation to markets, technology, science, business, entrepreneurship. But I do think we should talk about whatever the biggest story of the week is. So I'm with Sachs on that. I do wish it was more of a conversation than a debate. Um, and, and that's what I always try to steer it to. But, you know, sometimes people don't want to have a conversation. They just want to have a debate. And they just want to win it. And I think that's when the pod kind of, I, I don't know, I say fails, but it becomes more like what you see on cable TV, which right. I'm super not interested in. I think a lot of the fans are not interested in. You tell me what you think. For sure. I definitely don't. I mean, I try to avoid cable TV, but I'm going to bring something up that I did see on cable TV. And, you know, I'm a Republican, but, you know, and what's happening with the border is, you know, I don't know how to solve it, but I did see a one-year-old 
getting CPR that drowned in the river from a border patrol agent and like a three-year-old and I'm going, doesn't matter. This should not be if you're for immigration or against immigration. It's like children should not die coming to the United States. And it's just horrible. And it seems like we should figure out, like, I don't know if it's someone's going to put life preservers over on that other side of the river or something. But I mean, these children, I mean, it's just awful. And yeah, I don't know if something you guys can address down the road here, but we got to well, do something because children should not die. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Children should not die. And you know, one of the things you don't hear, I always like to think from first principles um, is, and I, and I brought this up on a previous episode and people responded very positively to it. We need to take, uh, I think, immigration as a topic and maybe break it into three buckets. One, we should be recruiting the smartest, most talented people from around the world. We should call that recruitment, <laughs> you know, PhDs, yeah. you know, MBAs, whatever, entrepreneurs. And we should recruit them. We should actively have a group of people who sorts through those applications and encourages them to come here. Number two, um, we should have uh, people who are seeking asylum, and then we should have everybody else. People who are seeking asylum, if they have a really valid claim that can be documented, should go to another line. And then everybody else, we should pick a number of people who should come into the country. We should count that number. We should secure the border. And when we hit that number every month, uh, we should make our best decisions of who comes in based on how willing uh, they are, likely they are, to to assimilate and be productive in society. This is called the point system. You can look up the immigration point system uh, for Canada and for Australia. This is this balances the compassion of you know letting people come in who need asylum and being fair in some way with the needs of the society that has to absorb the folks. And I think the big problem here is. If you ask most people how many people immigrate into the United States every year, they don't know. And you say, well, how many people do you think we should let immigrate? They don't know. <laughs> so we're not even talking about numbers. And the politicians do not want to talk about the numbers because they did. We'd probably settle it. They want to use it as a political hot button issue to prove some crazy point. And I think the sadistic nature of what you know, uh, DeSantis is doing with like shipping these people at no notice. I, I don't know any Republican who thinks that's a cool thing to do. Um, and the idea that three or four states on the border would have to take the brunt of this. I don't know any Democrats would think that's fair either. But, you know, people don't like to talk the way we talk on the all-in pod, which is from first principles, uh, without getting political, or at least some of us in our best moments <laughs> don't get too political. Um, and I try to steer the conversation towards the first principles, like you and I are having a conversation right now, Gregory. And so I, hopefully I we'll have time it. for immigration next episode. We didn't have time for it. You know, everybody's like, why didn't you cover something? Most of the time we don't cover something is because we're at the two hour window uh, that we tape and we just don't have any more time. So gotcha. if you're ever wondering why we didn't get to something it's or why didn't cover it, it's usually not some big cloak and dagger. It's we just don't have the time. Great job. I'm going to make right. Yasin my next caller. Yasin, you can unmute, you can give a salutation, uh, something like J-Cal, World hey, 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 is that, is that whatever enough? Whatever you want. Yeah, is, that, is that enough? Hey, that, hey, hey, well, hey, 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 everybody. You do hey, everybody, but it's not complimentary of the host. So typically you want to come on a system like this and say something really nice about the host and then go to your question, but I'll leave it up to you. I don't want to steer the audience. So go ahead, Yasin. Go ahead. You have okay. a question. Hey, hey, everybody. Um, I'm calling now from Istanbul. I'm currently in the Middle East. Uh, mm. I'm a big fan of the show since January of 2021. And my question to you, Jason, is mm. uh, I've been waiting for this question for a while. You said you're going to reveal why you call Chamath the dictator, but you've never uh, expressed why. Oh, okay, where did, sure. Where did that come from? It came from poker. 
um, when we were playing poker, uh, there are kind of the rules of the game uh, when you're playing. And whoever's hosting the game, he hosts. Um, Sachs sometimes hosts, used to host. I, I've hosted a couple times. Different people host. Um, and when you host, you can set the terms of the game. So one of the things in poker you'll do is if you're in a big hand, two people are all in. You could say run it twice, run it once, whatever. And uh, he would say, I don't want people running it twice anymore. I just want to run it once. And we just all started calling him a dictator uh, and because he wouldn't let people run it twice. Uh, and so that's where it comes why did, from. Why did, you stop, uh, why did you stop calling him recently, the dictator? In the oh, I, I still call him. I think we call him the dictator. <clears throat> I think he likes the, the name. It's, it's kind of ironic and funny. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, we still call him the dictator. What about the Sultan of Science and David Sachs? Well, Sultan of uh, Science, I came up with that name uh, because the Queen of Quinoa as well. But Queen of Quinoa came long before All In. He just was running um, a, a company called Itza, um, and, uh, which he's no longer running. But it was a quinoa restaurant, and I was breaking his chops at poker. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me take a sip here. And uh, he was just telling me how great quinoa was. And I was like, yo, Queen of Quinoa, relax. Like, put some salmon, put some chicken, put some steak on the quinoa. I'll eat it. But. I'm not eating just quinoa with vegetables. And I think Itza eventually <laughs> started putting some salmon on the quinoa. So that's what Kina, and then Sultan of Science, I thought, you know, Queen of Quinoa, nobody really understood the reference. And I was trying to feature him a little more on the show to get him more engaged. Cause you probably, if you listen to some of the earlier episodes, you know, he, he wasn't super engaged. Um, and so I created the science corner and started calling the Sultan of Science to kind of brand him as a science ambassador, because uh, I thought that would be interesting for the audience and good for him, candidly. So uh, I came up with that moniker for that reason. Great wow, question. that's great. My my second question is... Uh, You're on, on your the last third th question, technically. So I'll give this to your last one. You <laughs> okay, okay, okay. On the last episode, we knew about David Sachs who's into making movies. And I didn't know that because it's not in, in his bio. Uh, can you give... Something about every host or every, uh, like, David, you and uh, uh, the Sultan of Science about uh, what is something that, about every one of you that is not in your bio that you're really into, like Sachs, when he's into filmmaking and producing films? Great. Good question. Uh, so uh, what I would say is uh, I'm going to make the next poll Keep Yourself Muted, Isaiah. Um, uh, so let's see. Something about everybody that's not in their bio. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, everybody knows everything about me because I'm six days a week on this week in startups and on all in and I'm pretty active on Twitter. So you probably know everything about me. Friedberg. Uh, what else about him? I think he's kind of, he is what he is. Um, and Chamath. And Chamath's really into wine. If you didn't know that, he uh, really is um uh, a collector and uh, connoisseur of wine and fine foods. Okay, Isaiah, you're up. Uh, and I think I remember you from last week. You were here last week. Isaiah, uh, yeah, salutations, greetings. Uh, great. You able to hear me this time on the AirPods? We hear you five by five. Awesome, awesome. Uh, hey, yeah, I really enjoyed this last episode. Um, I think that you really integrated the feedback from moderation in the last one. So I just want to say thanks for uh, being open to advice and criticism. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a pretty short one this week. So I've got a pitch coming up for uh, an AI grant. Um, Nat Friedman and some other guys uh, put out like this $250,000 AI grant, which is super cool uh, for people who are building projects off of. All right, get to the question. Um, Let's not do a plug here. Get to the question. Yeah. 
yeah, sure. So my, my question is, um, so if you're taking it like a pitch for a grant or an investment or something like that, are you looking for something that's like really small and concrete or something that's, you know, able to see a much larger TAM, right? Cause I've got an idea, but my initial like build of it has a pretty small target market and I see a way for it to, you know, do something bigger. Great but, question. Yeah. Yeah. You it. wanted to see something larger or small and yeah. concrete. Sure. Okay. Great question. Uh, Michael, I'm going to make you the next caller, but keep yourself on mute. So it's a great question. Um, you know, it depends on the investor. They have different philosophies. Some investors really want to see you have what's called a beachhead market, a target market, some group of people that you can easily find. So, you know, we're going to build Slack, but we're going after developers or sales teams first. We're going to build Figma. We're going after, you know, app developers first, but then we want all designers. So they call that a beachhead market. Um, they call it a wedge strategy, you know, you can call out many different things, but it's the first group you go after. And so after you get the first group, can you get the rest of them? Um, so I, I like to know you have a beach head market um, and you could go after a small group of people. That's fine. But if you go after a small group of people, they better be able to spend a lot of money. So if your product was only for dentists and there are only 30,000 dental offices in the country, man, you better be able to make some decent money off them if that's all you're ever going to go after. So it's a good question. I think you have to balance. This is my beachhead. And if I can successfully, you know, delight this group of customers, then I'm going to widen the aperture and go after this group of customers is a great way to explain it. That shows that's kind of the best of both worlds. I hope that helps. Michael, you're up. Do you have a, uh, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? I hear you five by five. Do you have a question for me? Yes, I do. Uh, okay. thank you for being accessible. Uh, and uh, I'm really honored to speak to you. I oh, really enjoy the pad. Oh, thank the, you. Very glad to and uh, I think I'm probably the only one listening to you from the region I am in. But uh, one question Where I are have you from? is, uh, you I'm, originally, you. I'm originally from Ethiopia, but oh, I've okay. lived in three, four African countries before I came okay. here. Uh, we, we're, pretty popular. we're pretty popular in Africa. Um, so what's your oh, question? My question is, uh, how is like... Uh, the tech scene in Africa. Have you? Do you have any uh, like uh, future tech scene in Africa? Have you looked into that as the part? And uh, yeah. would you discuss Great. that if there is any time? Because there is a lot of potential there that you yeah coming up. Great. Um, so great question. Uh, as an investor, I'm not currently investing uh, on the continent, um, and the reason is. I don't know anything about the culture and I don't have any employees there. In order to be successful in investing, you really need to understand the culture. Um, you need to understand the regulations. Uh, you need to understand the customs. And there are investors dedicated to India, Japan, China, uh, various countries in Africa, various regions in Africa. So while I think there's a big opportunity there, uh, I don't know enough about it, and I have a hard enough time keeping up with the 15,000 or so founders who connect with me every year in the uh, North American region, Canada, United States, Australia, and the English-speaking portions of Europe. So that's where we primarily invest because we know those markets. We don't invest in Japan because I don't speak Japanese, and it's impossible for me to understand the product or really understand the teams and the culture. So. Great question. I think uh, great potential there. And you, know, you need to have a boots on the ground. And there are people who are starting firms and investing there. I, I took a pitch recently and 
you know, part of the pitch was, oh, well, this business is there are plenty of people doing this business for Africa uh, and for these countries, but people in Africa don't make enough money to pay for this specific tool. It was a, a creator's tool. So we're just going to make a version of it that's cheaper. And I was like, oh, or that company will realize they're charging too much and charge less there. So there's a lot of issues there. And then also, you know, people might not have compute desktop computers. They may have gone just to mobile. Maybe they don't have great bandwidth. So things have to be done offline. There's all these different nuances to each market. Um, and so you really, as an investor, or even a founder, you have to be there boots on the ground and understand your customers. So great question. Uh, Luca, I remember your, uh, I remember your, uh, I think I remember your avatar from last week, but no, it looks like you're brand new. Okay. No, no, it's me, so, it's me, it's me, it's me. Okay. Uh, it's so my, a dog, tight, my dog Fendi. Got it. Okay. So a salutation and a quick question. Go ahead. All right. Thanks for doing this. Uh, this is amazing. Um, one question I have is, like, it's actually a good segue from your past topic. Is there any field that you refuse to invest in? Or, like, you are, like, I don't want to touch this because I don't understand enough or I don't like it. It's not sexy enough for me or, or something like that. And also for, for the immigration, it's near and dear to my heart. And, yeah, please do an episode. But similar, I mean, I would suggest you, I don't know if you guys do this uh, um, still, to have someone, like, more competent who knows like for example how to become a an employee in the u.s for example that's like super hard sure. you gotta get lucky so like someone like maybe from hr Great. and one of your startups or or like a lawyer got it um, okay yeah i'll answer uh, your question for you uh, yes, yes, Anna. thank you yeah you can kick me out yeah okay andrew you'll be up next to mute so um in terms of uh your uh question about immigration um it's um, it's hard to get into this country. It's hard to get visas, obviously. Um, I do hear from a lot of people, and I've heard from the government of Canada, much easier to go to Canada, kind of use that as a station, get uh, comfortable in Canada because they really want more immigrants. Uh, they're a little bit more progressive than the United States has been under the last two or three presidents. And so uh, that might be a good strategy. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Chamath went to Canada first, then America. My wife did. Many other people have. So it's you're on the same time zone. You're in an English-speaking country, largely. Uh, and so that's your best, uh, I think, bet there. And, you know, we don't have guests on the pod to talk about issues anymore. Um, we did it for Roe v. Wade. I think people want to hear us talk about the issues. So we, we, we're trying to stick to that. And so no more guests right now. We're just focusing on the four of us. Just try to do the show week in and week out, make it great for you. In terms of the moderation, the previous callers, um, you know, when we're talking about, there's a lot of complaints about moderation uh, when we talk about politics. And a lot of that is a MAGA brigade and a group of people who are using my moderation as a way, as an attack vector. Um, basically, you can think of it like working the ref, you know, people argue with the refs in soccer or basketball in order to get calls. There's a little bit of that going on. And then certainly, I have always seen this podcast as a conversation, and I like to interject, some people might call it an interruption, uh, in two or three circumstances. Number one, when somebody's not being clear, I like to interject and say, hey, can you clarify this? Number two, if they use a term that nobody understands, I'll say, hey, can you explain what, what CAC is, customer acquisition cost? A third reason is I think uh, their argument is flawed or 
something doesn't make sense to me. And then I channel the audience and think they would probably want something. Fourth is another bestie wants to chime in and I'm trying to get them to move the ball. Fifth is the person has been talking for too long, going on a monologue. I think anything over 90 seconds, two minutes gets too long for the audience and it stops being a conversation. Uh, and then way down on the list is I um, personally want to say something and that's probably 5% of it. So in terms of moderation, I can always do better. I really laid back on this episode, uh, but you know, that was because we really didn't talk about politics. And I think Sachs was very rational in his discussion of politics and was actually listening uh, to other people during it. And so I think when he's out of debate mode, magically the moderation issue goes away. Um, but he does like to attack my positions and try to take them down if I challenge his positions. And that's, I think, when people see the show go from a discussion to a debate. And that's what people don't like. So we're working on that. I prefer we don't talk about politics all that much. Or when we do, I just let Sachs make his point and then I make my point. Of course, then sometimes Sachs comes in and tells me I'm wrong or tells me what I act, what tells me what I think. And I'm like, hey, that's not what I think. So you don't need to label me. You could just listen to the words I said. Um, but yeah, trying to do less of that. And yeah, the brigading, you know, which was the joke in the cold open. I, I you know, I, I don't even want to bring it up, but um, you know, I get a lot of DMs that are pretty spicy, uh, a lot of attacks and a lot of coordinated attacks. And I can tell they're coordinated when you, you know, have 10 tweets and like all of a sudden 30, 40 accounts that have all been created in the last year start attacking your Twitter and saying really personal, uh, hateful stuff. That's why I changed my Twitter uh, to being uh, only people I follow can respond because I was getting like a really, you know, nasty group of um anonymous accounts. And when you look at the accounts, you go to their likes, you go to their replies or retweets, you'll see, you know, it's all Pepe the Frog, let's go Brandon, Trump stuff. So, you know, probably two thirds of the aggressive feedback I got from people was from that MAGA anonymous account. And one third was probably just regular fans who, you know, have something very valid to say. So great question there. Andrew, you're up. You can unmute yourself if you like. It is a pleasure to speak to the most delightful moderator in all mm. of podcasting and hosting. A moderator. Well, wow, who Andrew, is, say more. Say more. Uh, well, he is the moderator who is dropping more pounds than he is mics. Mm. Um, uh, and continue, uh, Andrew. And, uh, continue. <laughs> well, snap uh, follow. I give you a snap follow on Colin. Snap follow. I love this. Oh, oh, well, you're, you're, you're too kind and too talented <laughs> for the besties to um, even threaten a new moderator. Um, I can assure you of that. Yeah, how, how great would the show be with Andrew Rorsorkin <laughs> or somebody else's moderator? Good luck. Uh, and you it think Kara Swisher's uh, going to sit there and let Sachs go on a MAGA I don't, you know, <laughs> talking point uh, Republican tirade? Uh, no, au contraire, mon frere. I don't <laughs> oh, think Kara Swisher that. would last a, a minute on there. The, she would oh, take I, over the show. She wouldn't. She wouldn't want to be on the show. I don't think she'd want to. Yeah. No. Anyway, Andrew, you have a be, question for me. Yeah. Too big of a personality, and she interrupts more than anyone I've ever known, uh, even Carrie V. Gary V. But yeah. with respect to her, of course. Yeah. Um, yes. She's great. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, two things. Uh, one is um, I'm curious, and you may have, you slightly addressed it in the earlier, but um, the Patagonia uh, uh, announcement was somewhat um, uh, of a bit of news, um, and I would have thought that might have had got some coverage on the pod, um, but most of it was spent talking about the Adobe. And was it simply a matter of time, or was it just that simply time? That no it was on the it was on the docket. It was like one of the last items. There were probably three, four, five 
issues on the docket we didn't get to. So yeah, that's always the case. And I think where I was really letting that Adobe discussion run because I felt like everybody was adding to it. And when we really get into that, that discussion was able to talk about antitrust, investing, uh, startup creation, um, strategy of how to beat an incumbent and why startups even exist. I mean, there were so many angles that we went into um, and we explored. And I, people said that was the, you know, the definitive discussion about the Adobe acquisition. So I, I really, um, I kind of let that one run. People were like, oh, 40 minutes is too much. I thought it was just right, if I'm being honest. It's the deal. It's the biggest deal ever for a private company. It should get 40 minutes. And so people really responded great to it. But yeah, it's always a matter of time. The show could be two days a week. I have another show, This Week in Startups, where I talked about that with Molly Wood. So you can always go to This Week in Startups. And if you want to hear my voice more, uh, you know, go subscribe to it and you, you'll, you'll get a couple more episodes a week. And founder grit, I, uh, I, and I, I don't don't uh, disagree. I just was curious. Um, and then the last was, and if you're able to uh, elaborate, and if not, I, I respect it. Um, but it seems like Freeberg has been on tilt, uh, you might say, since the All In Summit, um, and and I'm not sure if it's just. Uh, perception or if he's been uh, a little more grumpy since uh, and if you were able to elaborate on maybe um, we, we talked about it be... on the yeah we talked about it on the show you know he, I think he um, was didn't he had a lot of concerns about the all in summit because his name was on and his reputation which is reasonable um, you know he was just really distracting for me when I built that thing out that became the number one conference I think in our space and tech and business um, and I think he um you know, resented the fact that uh, I got paid a speaker. I got paid a producer fee to do it. The other two besties, you know, agreed to pay me a fee to do all the work, uh, which is modest. Like it's not going to change anybody's life. And so I think that's a little bit of a rift between the two of us and probably why we won't have any more events. But you never know. We could, the three of us, if David, myself and Shamath want to do it again, we could vote to do it. And then it would just be up to him if he wanted to show up. If it's a tie vote and me and Chamath want to do it or me and Sachs want to do it and the other two didn't, then I would just do it under a different brand, you know, uh, not all in Summit. And <laughs> I wouldn't call it that, but I come up with another name. And then maybe Chamath would come, you know, uh, maybe somebody else would come. Uh, so I plan on doing an event next year for the fans of All In and This Week in Startups and a lot of the rotation besties, you know, the, the brand Gerstners, the Bill Gurley's, you know, Elon, whoever wants to show up, uh, Antonio Gracia. So it's going to happen next year. Just will be a decision if Freeberg wants to be involved and if we want to use the all-in brand or not. Um, but I just thought it was so special that I'm going to throw it again uh, for the fans. He seemed to got a lot of love from that uh, event. I'm surprised he was uh, he didn't um, acknowledge a, the the adoration, yeah. but I understand. Thank you. Yeah, I I don't, but you know, I don't understand. <laughs> but if you do, great. You can explain. Oh, no, it I matter. mean I understand um, your 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 uh, explanation. I, I don't understand yes. why how many people said Freeberg was uh, one of his their favorite besties and all of the things that they loved about his science. Background it was incredible. And, and, and... People went crazy. And if you think about it, I created this science character for him, <laughs> named it, and you know. 
kind of weird that you know he's upset at me about it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know he had no Twitter followers when he started on the pod. Um, so yeah. it's a little the whole relationship's a little weird. I'm working on it. I had dinner with him twice when I was in LA. I've, I've been trying to build a relationship with him. We'll see how it goes. You know. Well, hopefully, Canna will uh, will will give him uh, a new a newfound <laughs> um, surprise because you know that business I'm model's hoping. changed a bit, um, which I'm I'm very curious about. I'd love to get some interesting things, but I've used more time than I deserve here. But yeah, uh, great that, job. That, well, you know, he. Uh, Thank you. I would say I will say also he um, he's really shown up. You know, uh, he you know one of my challenges to him was like, hey, be more active on the pod, like, and, and show up. Because a lot of weeks he didn't want to show up. You know, he had other things going on in his life. And I was like, listen, we're all showing up every week. If you don't want to show up, I can have Brad Gerstner come, or maybe you want to do half the episode. So, you know, I'm just glad that he's actually showing up every week. He's prepared. He's engaged. You know, he did one week where he actually moderated and did the docket, uh, one out of our 96 episodes. So, you know, it's he's more engaged now, which is good. Um, and I think he's putting in a great performance every week. The fans love him. So, you know, I think the show is better when he's on it, uh, when he's engaged. If he's not engaged, then obviously it's it's kind of like burning a slot on the show. So, you know, he's, he's engaged. Yeah. Yeah. When he's yeah. super engaged. Yeah. When when he wants to talk, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, what? for the last 10 episodes, he has been. So I assume he's going to do that for, uh, you know, going forward. So I'm pretty happy with it. Um, and hopefully the show continues. We'll see. All right. We'll go to our next caller, Adam. All right, Adam, you're up. Hey, can you hear me? I hear you five by five. Okay. Um, first off, I love Twist. I love all in. Oh, um, thanks, pal. I'm actually I'm 17, and so my question is brief. I'm a question for you: Is what would your path be today, as a senior in high school, to set yourself up for a successful future as an entrepreneur and founder? That's a great question. What I would say is uh, your ability to learn new skills uh, quickly uh, will determine your success in life. So I would go on an absolute uh, plan of what skills are in need in the world that I'm also interested in, and I would learn those skills. So if you think video editing is necessary in the world, obviously it is. If you think social media is developing, being a developer, uh, being a product manager, being a designer, all of those things, being a salesperson, all of these things are really necessary in the world. So I'd learn all those skills as fast as possible. I would not worry about my salary. I would just worry about my experience. I would join a startup early because startups tend to give more responsibility to young people because they have less resources. Great question. Alejandra, you're up. Alejandra, going once. I'm here. I'm here, J. Cole. You're here. Yeah. Oh, here we go. You're welcome back. You were here last week. I was. And thank uh, you again for okay. the space. Really wanted to of congratulate course. you on episode 96. Moderation was great. And I think it was really mm. great to see the SPAC topic come up in a successful transaction for, for one of the besties. Yeah. My, my question um, today for you is, you know, this is for you, but I think it would also be interesting to hear from Friedberg on this. Mm -hmm. So he talked about, and we're talking about food insecurity, the Lavoro deal, obviously in Actic is fantastic, but you know, how do we balance eating healthy? You know, you're, you're also in your weight loss journey. So how do we, you know, how do we balance eating healthy with increasing crop yields to feed the world with this additional yeah. technology, which creates quote unquote, like more fake food. So for example, you know, some of the food that we have here in the U S tastes a little different when you travel elsewhere. And like gluten sensitivities in the U.S. go away when you're in Italy, for example. So, yep. you know, 
clearly a fed world is, is better than yeah. the starving world, but how do we balance that with long-term health consequences? Yeah, I'd love to hear Freeberg's answer to this one. Uh, I have my own thoughts. Um, you know, in the West, in the United States, and many places, we have too much food. Um, we are gluttonous. We're, you know, large percentage of people in our society are overweight, obese, or morbidly obese. So we do not suffer from uh, a lack of calories. We suffer from a lack of discipline in eating the right calories. And then in other parts of the world, they do not have access to um, you know, enough calories. The interesting thing I brought it up this week was, you know, we have been more or different besties at different times have been more sounding the alarm bell. Uh, I think there's one for, there's an alarm bell that we've been talking about, uh, for energy. Uh, there's the alarm bell for fertilizer and food that, um, you know, Friedberg has been talking about. There's the alarm bell for world war three, uh, and that Sachs has been talking about with Putin and Ukraine, the United States and the NATO alliance. And so I have been trying to chime in like, hey, um, we predicted this would be terrible. And it hasn't been because, you know, the U.N. Uh, has successfully negotiated getting fertilizer and crops out of, you know, the breadbasket, Ukraine and Russia. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that anybody is wrong in their predictions uh, or warnings, but I do wonder if you know we will wind up or different individuals on the pod uh will wind up predicting it correctly or if the world is actually more resilient we're stress testing the world right now we're stress testing if uh people in europe can conserve energy i mean it sounds crazy but you know turning their thermostats down is an actual program uh you know in some of these places people literally going and heating one room of their house instead of five these are like the 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 levels people are taking over there uh, and maybe taking public transportation or bicycles more often. So conservation will end, you know, buying fuel from other sources. Will that save Germany? Who knows? Uh, this is a first time for a lot of these issues. Will the breadbasket be able to get enough fertilizer out for not only this season, but the next seasons to come? <clears throat> and I think we'll find out. Um, so you will hear me, you know, ask those follow-up questions because it turns out we haven't had World War III. We haven't had famine and we have had, you know, energy disruption, but it seems manageable to date. So one has to wonder, is the worst yet to come or is the system resilient uh, to a level that we didn't predict or, you know, are, are the predictions too dire? I think it's great that we sounded the alarm for all these things, but different people sounded different ones, I should say. I don't want to speak for any bestie. You can go listen to the episodes and hear different people's, you know, um, what alarms they're sounding, but we will see um, you know, if the world can manage these things. I suspect, um, you know, there's going to be pain and suffering, but I am an optimist and I think humans are incredibly clever and resourceful. And I was talking about it today on my Twitter. You know, you look at something like inflation. Consumers, if you just think from first principles, if a consumer is feeling the pinch of inflation and things are getting very expensive, consumers have the option to put off spending in almost every category or lower their consumption. Now you're like, oh my God, consumers can't not, you know, have a car. They can't not, you know, have food. Okay, true, but they could push off upgrading their iPhone or car for three or four years. So if somebody has a seven-year-old car, they could keep it till 11. They have a three-year-old phone, they could keep it till five. And, you know, with food, if, you know, 
they feel the pinch and they don't want to pay for you know certain things you could um, and there are a bunch of people who do this like on reddit and social media who are like they're super optimizers of life i guess life hacking and, and hacking costs and stuff like that people can take their spend down massively there are people who try to spend the least amount of money possible and consume the least amount of resources okay yeah if you can't get fruit juice or certain produce like People will drink water. I know it's not crazy and stupid, but or if people don't have heat, there are people who will put their thermostats at 60 degrees in their houses and wear a sweater. Again, I know it's stupid, but if everybody did that, or if everybody got used to, you know, um, not turning their thermostat on, their air conditioning on until it was, you know, 75 or 80 degrees, and they just left their windows open, you know, we wouldn't have the brownouts and the blackouts that we have here in California. So I think a lot of what we're experiencing might actually be uh, mitigated by consumers changing their behavior. And certainly food is one of those things. Now, if you're starving in a country that's been disrupted, you you, you might not have that choice. You, you, you don't have the ability to um, get any calories. But if you think about the United States, like if you're like, wow, steak is too expensive. Well, you can take steak out and eat chicken. Uh, you know, I was looking at my spending. I'm I just do this because I still think poor, even though I have money. But I was like, you know what? I'm wasting so much money buying this blue bottle, little chicory coffees at four bucks a pop. And every time we order food, I order five of them or 10 of them, and you know, 20, 40 bucks. And it's a luxury for me. I like to have one in the mornings or afternoons. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm drinking two of them. I'm spending eight bucks a day on them, eight bucks a day. If I do it 20 days a month, you get the idea. It's a lot of money. So I just started making my own cold brew. I looked up online how to do it. And most of it was because I just didn't like throwing the boxes and the storage space it was taking and throwing the boxes away and throwing bottles of cold brew away. I just felt like it wasn't in the shipping of it. I felt it wasn't good for the environment. I started making my own cold brew from chicory coffee. It cost me like a dollar or two to make eight servings. So I went from spending $4 a serving to spending 25 cents a serving. This is a stupid example, Alejandra, but I do think that consumers are more resilient than we give them credit for and they will adapt faster than we give them credit for. I don't know if I answered your question, but I went on a little rant there. No, uh, no, thank, thank you. I appreciate again. it. Okay, I'm going to make Matt my next caller. Matt, you're up. Uh, salutations, compliments, any of that great stuff up front, always appreciated. Uh, you can address me as Cal, Jason, just don't say Mr. Calacanis, world's greatest moderator, any of those. It's up to you, Matt. I don't want to leave the witness here, but any salutation you like and uh, a question, please. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Jason. And thanks for taking my call. And of course, really appreciate the podcast. Listen every oh, week. Okay. Love it. Um, and special thanks to you for kind of bringing them all together, you guys together and giving it to the fans because we we love it. Mm. Um, my question is kind of about politics on the pod. And mm. I think Let's I get go. a consensus both on Reddit and Twitter and other places kind of like, you know, the pod is at its best when it's talking about technology and business and I wouldn't say it's at its worst, but, you know, it's like, hey, you know, maybe we don't defend like, hey, politics, not so great. Want to hear what I'm talking about. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think okay. that it's pretty cool and rare to get four intelligent people having nuanced discussions about issues when they don't necessarily align altogether on, you know, whichever side of the aisle necessarily. Um, so my question. May I ask, Matt? Let me ask yeah. you. Are you, just to frame your question. Are you a Republican, Democrat? independent how have you voted over time and, and where does your passion lie in that regard yeah i mean i've voted republican um lately it's mm -hmm. it's the party's been turning me off um you know I, i'd consider myself an independent more of like a uh 
I'm a social liberal and a fiscal conservative, which I oh, think very similar to myself. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and I, I think, you know, when you look at kind of the different uh, folks on the pod, there's some differences, but everyone is more or less pretty close. Right. I mean, there's differences well, on issues. I don't know about but, that. It turns uh, out Shamath is pretty liberal Democrat, uh, donates, as he said on the pod, Democrat. Sachs is super staunch, starch, staunch, staunch. conservative. Staunch conservative, I think it's the end of the day for me. Uh, and he uh, in, and he uh, invests money and, and backs, you know, all these Republican candidates very publicly. I'm independent, but I would say 75 percent of the time I voted Democrat in my life. I think it's also a function of where I've lived, New York and California. You don't really have a chance to vote Republican that often um, or moderate. And then Freeburg, I think, is socially liberal and fiscally conservative like you. So I would say that's probably where everybody lies based on what they've said publicly and their behavior. But um, yeah, so when do we, when do you, let me, oh, you had a question. I'll let you yeah. ask your question, but I have a follow-up question for you, but maybe it's the same question, go. Sure. Um, well, the question is, and it's totally fine if the answer is, I don't think there is an answer. Um, I'm just <laughs> curious. Because a lot of times we hear about, hey, you know, this politician's a grifter. This one's, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, obviously, Sachs pushes DeSantis. He thinks he's doing a lot of good things. But I guess the question would be from your guests, based on what you know about everybody else, because you guys are besties. Is there one politician, you know, House, Senate, whatever, that you guys could all four put a spotlight on and be like, this is somebody who's doing things right? Hmm. Do you think that person exists? Bonus points if they're not a household name. Well, I would say like Mike Bloomberg is somebody I know myself and Chamath. And I don't know if Sachs was pro Bloomberg. You know, Bloomberg ran as a Republican, if I'm not incorrect or something, you can fact check me right now and put it in the comments. But I think he was um, when he was uh, went for mayor, I think he was a Republican. So he's obviously a fiscal conservative and socially liberal. So he, he matches, I think, up pretty nice with us. So I think we all really liked him. Um, you know, DeSantis, uh, you know, I I would like to like a Republican candidate if they just would not screw with a woman's right to choose, not be anti-gay marriage, um, and stay out of people's, you know, bedrooms, personal lives more. And I think that's the that's the thing that's been problematic for the Republicans right now is that they sold their soul to these evangelicals to, you know, Trump did obviously yes. to get elected. You know, to get those, he gave them the Supreme Court, uh, you know, candidates to overturn Roe v. Wade to get elected. And now Sachs is like, oh my God, like, why are we doing this? You know, and you can just hear it like every time I challenge Sachs, <laughs> you know, like, yep. I, Sachs did not want to overturn Roe v. Wade. He probably wanted the status quo. He's pro right. woman's right to choose. He's been clear on the pod about that. He's pro gay marriage. He's been, he was clear on the last episode about that, right? And you got that. Yep. Like, he does, yep. he does, and he, he was like, just take that issue off the table. Um, and actually, I think on an earlier episode, I said, hey, would you be willing to give like a basic universal health insurance? He's like, yeah, I think I would do that if we could get rid of like other entitlements. So, you know, and he's also a dove. So, you know, as I've said, David's a little iconoclastic, uh, I think, um, in his approach. Um, you know, I don't I think he hates the woke crowd, but I also get the sense that he kind of hates the MAGA crowd, too. He, he, he's not in agreement about January 6th, although we can't really talk about that on the pod. gets too heated. So my question for you, Matt, is yep. uh, so I don't know that there's many candidates who choose to put them in the, themselves in the middle or present themselves as moderates, because if they present themselves as moderates, they lose the extremes who come out and vote in the primaries. I think that's been very well documented. My question, unfortunately, for you is, um, how do you think 
each of us do, uh, and you're more conservative, I think. So um, how do you think we could do politics better on the pod? If you do like um, listening to it. Yeah, I, I when think... When do we fail? When can we do better? Yeah, I think... I, I honestly think that you guys do a great job of covering topics, like the issues from a broad level. I think it'd be really interesting to get a closer look into maybe the policy weeds of like spotlighting, put the spotlight on or draw awareness to given the audience and things like that. Be like, Hey, this is a really important bill. Like call your Congressman, call your Senator. Most people don't even know who their Congressman is. And I think that could be, I mean, if you consider how democracy is supposed to work in the terms of like a marketplace for ideas, bills are how those things go through. And granted we can, Hey, this filled with pork. Oh, there's all these issues, but like, does this solve a major issue? And if it doesn't, Maybe some like things of like, hey, DC, put this in it. Like just getting into the nitty gritty of it and actually like maybe trying to get some change done that way. I know it doesn't work that way anymore and it really should, but like that'd be the only thing I would think. Cause I have no idea what's going through mm. the pipelines of DC and like what's being proposed and like what could really be maybe it's a game changer and it's just doesn't mm. get the votes because it's not getting attention, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that would be kind of cool. We were kind of, we, you know, we, we, um, I did my little, um, hiring of an independent journalist with Chester Boudin, um, you know, covering his office and, you know, their inability to uh, uh, prosecute anybody. And, you know, Sachs went the political route on that and gave donations for the recall. And so I think we, we did something pretty active there. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I appreciate the call and you got the follow and I'm going to move on to our next caller, which is Greer. Greer, you're up next. Uh, remember, you can do a greeting salutation whatever you like, uh, whatever works best for you. And uh, then you can ask a concise question. Okay, cool. Um, thank you for uh, having this on. I'm a pretty big fan. I'm currently reading your book. Oh, uh, thanks. I am a college student. Um, we got a lot of those. Yeah. Um, my question is how, what advice would you give to someone that wants to get into VC and wants to do that kind of realm of a career? Great question. Uh, so you can beat yourself there. I'll answer it real quick. So um, if you want to, and you're reading my book, if you had the ability to make small angel investments in 10 to 20 companies, uh, then help the founders by helping them uh, find employees, tweeting about them, uh, testing their product, writing up analysis of what they're doing, uh, or going to work for one of them, that would be a great way to show that you have skin in the game. So imagine you're applying for an associate position against 100 other people at a firm. And two people out of the 100 have invested in 10 startups each, $500 a startup, $1,000 a startup, whatever you can get in for the least amount, which you can do on these equity crowdfunding sites. And of those two, one of them has a blog where they talk about their investments and their investment thesis, and one doesn't. And one has a podcast where they interview young founders, and one doesn't. Who would you, if you were running that firm, would you want to take an interview with first? Greer, who would you want to take an interview with first out of those 100 people? Um, I would, yeah, definitely take someone um, that has that has the investments in and then also talks with the founders and stuff like that because I think they would know more. Correct. And they would also be of action. 
And so what you're looking for as a boss when you own a business is somebody who reduces your risk when you hire them because they're actually doing the job already. And you're looking for somebody who's of action, somebody who's already motivated. So you are in the passive bucket right now. I would encourage you to move to the active bucket. By the nature of you calling in here, you've done but you know 1% of what it does to show yourself that you are active. Uh, you got on this thing, you could send people. You know, I just asked Jake Al a question on all in episode 96. If you wrote profiles of startups and you said, hey, I'm just gonna work on marketplaces. I'm gonna write my own analysis on my medium about them and I'm gonna interview people. You know, you do 10 of those interviews, you'll, you'll go further. I hired uh, producer Rachel for This Week in Startups because she had produced a podcast, uh, maybe five or 10 episodes. And I was like, well, if she produced her own podcast and got it published, for this other venture firm that I've never heard of on the East Coast. Uh, I think I never heard of it. I'm sorry, I don't want to insult anybody, um, but I, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, I was like, well, she's done something, uh, which is better than the other applicants here. And, and sure enough, that worked out to be a good bet. So be of action, do the job, even though you're not getting paid for it, and then somebody will pay you to do it. Is that, is that helpful to you? Yeah, I want to say, yeah, I, I forgot to say, I am I'm starting to invest in a little bit on Republic. Great. Um, I Check am out Seed Invest as well. Seed Invest is pretty good. Okay. Um, is any other sites? I would just look at Republic and Seed Invest, and then if you become accredited, you could look at AngelList and mine, the syndicate.com. Okay. And if you were going to do the syndicate.com, I could lower the minimum for you because the minimum is usually two to four K. I could lower it down to 500 or something like that for you to get involved. But, you know, you can always ask people and then you can become a, a you know, a, what's called an advisor to companies if you actually had a skill. But, you know, make media and, and you know, build your social presence and maybe go work in a startup and then invest on the side and you will get somebody's attention. Great job. Great yeah, call. Yep. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, of I, course. I did forget I am invested in your company on Republic. I want to give that up. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, now you've basically imagine you email me and it's like, well, how could I not respond if you invested in Inside and you put a hundred bucks in? I'm like, oh, and that's called <laughs> the reciprocation effect. So if you want to learn about how that works, the reciprocation effect is if you do something nice for somebody, they kind of, you know, will do something even nicer for you. That's and always so, been my philosophy. Yeah, but it, but it is a literal look up the reciprocation effect and just read the Wikipedia page on it. It's one of these psychological phenomenon that is maybe deeper and more powerful than even, you know, uh, having learned it intrinsically on your own. Anand, you're going to be up next. Uh, we're at 554. I'll take two more questions. I'm trying to keep this to an hour. George at 38 people live. Anand, you've got a lot of background noise. I'm going to move on yeah, to David. Sorry. Too noisy. Uh, you're, you're too painful. So, Anand, you can ask your question in the chat if you like. David, you're up. Hey, J. Cal. Thank you so much for putting the pod together. It's fantastic. One of the best business uh, pods I've ever heard. Um, One of the best. Then, uh, Which one's back. better? Nothing. Okay, thank, thank you. Downloading anything from MIT, from everything. Just mm. putting the team together, your insights, you're dear to my Great. heart in the sense of starting from the ground up. What do you got, nothing. the kids at the park? Are you got the kids yeah, at the park? I, yeah, my son's playing soccer, so not the soccer All right, practice. I'm going to give you a, give us a tight question here so we don't blow out everybody's ears, and I hope he wins. Okay. Thank you. Tight uh, question. Just tight question. So my wife is sort of uh, is older. We're looking at doing some, some sort of startups with her and taking an idea oh, to awesome. give her the courage to do that. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely pre-funding stage, not there yet. Perfect. But, you yeah. know, places to get coaching. Uh, yeah, you know, come to founder.com. Yeah, founder.university is a course I teach uh, along with my team. 
It's a 12 week course, $100 for it. If you come to all 12 weeks, we charge your card back to 700. 92%, I think, in the last class completed the class. Founder.university uh, is what it's called. I mean, created it for people exactly like your wife. It's twice a week, Monday nights, and then another night. Uh, and um, it's for people who just have an idea. And we, we're very permissive in who we let into it. And it's exactly because I get hundreds of people like yourself and your wife who want to get started. So great job. I'll take the next caller, lightning round. Ben, lightning compliment, lightning question, go. Hi, Jason. Love how hard you work to bring three very independent people into conversation. My question is, do you think Silicon Valley has historically underappreciated people skills? And do you think this is changing? Great question, Ben. Great compliment, Ben. Excellently done. You know the rules. Um, yeah, you know, we there's a lot of people who are successful as founders um, who maybe don't have uh, interpersonal skills other folks uh, we will coach people our listeners uh, a lot of times people because they have to fuck for them through things up and so you can to gay jobs doctor, whoever you find more empathetic to be better listeners to treat people better to be better leaders and so you know in silicon valley we really care about you creating a great product, building a great team, creating a great product, delighting customers. That's what I always talk about. That's how I do my investing. Um, I look for great teams or founders who can build a great team, who can build a great product that can delight customers. That's the beginning and end of it. And your interpersonal skills, you can learn on the job. Brett, you're up next. Give us a quick compliment if you're so inclined and a quick question, lightning round. Yeah, I've been following you for years. Read your book. I'm in your syndicate. Hmm done about oh. 10 deals or so alongside oh. you, so I'm, I'm a super fan of myself. Um, my question is, learning on being uh, empathetic, to be better yeah. listeners, to treat people better, to be, what's, do you, have you had one of the companies break out yet, or all the gestation periods, you get into great, um, any of the I, big winners? I uh, got into, no, I was, I was after you did Calm, my biggest hmm. one is um, Density. I think. Oh, very and, well uh, done, very well done, yeah, great company. I've, I've, I think I'm in three or four of their rounds. I Fantastic. I'm doing super pro rata with that one. I am a um, my big question fan of is, team. Your question. Go oh, ahead. Sure. Uh, my question is with the, uh, you know, inflation, everything, what, what's, what's your, what's you, what have you seen with seed and pre-seed round sizes yeah. and valuations and kind of where do you see that going over the next, you know, handful of months considering there's probably going to be another couple inflation or uh, interest rate hikes yeah. in the next handful of months. Okay, great question, Brett. Um, I'll leave you. Okay, yeah, you jumped off. Uh, so, oh, I put you on mute for a second. So we are starting to see the 5 to $15 million seed round with the product and market come back. And we are looking for any SaaS marketplace company, uh, consumer subscription or fintech that fits that. And we're trying to get into those rounds. And we're having success. If you are in the SaaS syndicate, the syndicate.com slash SaaS, you'll see those deals or the syndicate.com. You can sign up for both. Um, if you're into climate, the syndicate.com slash climate. We are really starting to see rounds come back to the 2010 to 2015 time period. And that's awesome because entry price does matter. If you can, if you had to invest at 25 in one company, okay, you get one swing at that for, you know, let's say your ownership. I'm just making it up here. It was 10 basis points in the company. Uh, well, you got one company for 25 million, and if you can invest in four at, you know, six million or five at five million, 
you would much rather have five swings at that because it is um, a diversification game. Majority of these car seed stage startups fail, don't return money to the investor. So you want to get to 10 to 20 to 30 is what most people say to have diversification. It's a great question. We're seeing a return back to the future and I am more excited than ever. Can't wait to close up Launch Fund 4 and uh, start investing even more companies. So I am very excited about it. Jesse, you are in the lightning round. Very quick, a uh, compliment salutation and then a question if you're so inclined. Sure, sure, uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I have been watching uh, All In um, since the beginning of this year, and uh, I've known Chamath. I'm familiar with his work. I'm a big basketball Great. fan. I love how he was part of the organization. I have a quick, I mean, I have three questions. Pick your best um, one. We're in the lightning round. Best question. Right, two of them actually got, two of them already got uh, answered Great. already. So I was kind of, I wanted to ask, what do you do to sort of reset when you're, you know, swamped with work and, you know, you've been working nonstop great. for months on end. Awesome question. What do you, what do, you do? Yeah. This is a great question. Um, so there are things I do uh, outside of work for my family uh, that I get great joy from. So <laughs> as I was talking to Molly about it this week at startups, I took the girls, I gave my wife the night off Saturday night, took my daughters to Korean dinner out in Oakland at a great Korean restaurant. Um, they're half Korean, so it's nice for them to get in touch with their culture and introduce them to new dishes. And then we went for a crazy ice cream at Milk Bomb, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, donuts filled with ice cream. And so I like to spend time with the girls um, and do activities with them. I played tennis with them over the weekend as well. We got a tennis coach and we just uh, hit some balls around. And then I took them to an escape room. All of those things I'm doing for my girls, but I get just as much out of it as they do. For me personally, going and playing poker at Shamats and laughing it up with my friends, you know, going to Burning Man, seeing my friends, having dinner, opening a bottle of wine with them and socializing. That's incredibly, incredibly nourishing for me, hanging out with friends. And then for me personally, you know, um, if I can, um, you know, get out there and ski, uh, or get on my mountain bike, or go for a hike, or work out. Uh, that's a great reset for me. I listen to some Dire Straits, uh, some of these bootleg live albums I listen to, and just ski for two hours in the afternoons uh, alone is incredible for me on a uh, meditative basis. I, I, when you're skiing and I'm listening to that Dire Straits live album, uh, I cannot be thinking about anything else, and I'm just doing it for myself and being in the moment. And so I'm trying to do more of those things for myself. Okay, I'm taking the next caller, Arash. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Please tell me if I didn't. Yes, you did. That was Arash, uh, so, give me, uh, you, you know how the rules work here, Sal salutation if you're yep. inclined, and then uh, salutation compliment if you're so inclined, and then a question. Tight question, we're in the lightning round. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I actually have been listening to you guys since episode probably 18, 19. And I think the way you guys did the politics in the very beginning was very, very good. Probably until 50. Maybe gotten a little bit. Maybe some people think it's been getting a little bit. Um, what do you think changed? Tense, what do you think changed? That was my compression. I maybe David got a little more, like you said, more debated. But I, I do. I still like the debate. Um, I. I do like chatting with people that have different opinions myself. I do watch all the networks, so huh. I do enjoy to hear that point of view. But I do like the, the early rounds were lower, less audience, so I think it was a lot more comfortable. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that, that that might be it, but um, maybe just because I'm a 
Early I agree with you. In the year, early, so, in the early days, in the early <laughs> days, it was much yeah. more of a conversation than a debate. So I, I did prefer that yeah. myself. Okay. Do you have a question? Awesome. Yes, I do. So I am a medtech founder, okay. uh, where I am uh, a first-time okay. um, founder. And you guys today talked about, or in the in the podcast talked about uh, Figma and being grit and no revenue for several several. Uh, Years for a medtech founder, what have you seen no revenue for that's acceptable? Yeah. It's three, four, five years. That's my question. Thank you so much. Biggest crying. Yep. Thank you. All right. We got a lot of babies crying here. Oh, my Lord. That is, uh, if, you, if, not, if you haven't had kids yet, my Lord, that's the first two years. Um, <laughs> and then you forget about it. You have all this joy, and then you go make another one because you forget about that blood curdling scream and cry. Um, which just is hits you right in your your, your limbic system there. Um, so medtech, um, you know, listen. You, if you want to not have to worry about revenue, you better be growing on other metrics. So what we didn't talk about was Figma was growing on other metrics. They had product velocity, they had patient investors, they had a low burn rate, and that when they did have a free product, people were using it really well. So. If you get your product velocity, if your burn rate is low, if you have only builders on your team, that will get you a lot of credit with investors. So what does this mean? Well, if you just keep it to three people and you're grinding away and showing great progress on your web software, then you might not be able to do that in MedTech. Um, your investors will be delighted with you. So that low burn rate, low salaries, low cost structure, being really frugal, um, you know, founders, uh, investors can say to the founder, like, okay, you're only burning a million dollars a year. Yeah, giving you, you know, $3 million and let you work on it for three years seems like a smart idea. If you're sending updates regularly, the product's improving regularly. But if you're blowing through 500000 a month and you know your plan is to burn $18 million, you might get treated a different way by an investor. So keep that in mind. Okay, we'll take a final question or two. And uh, you know, we had one woman so far, and there's a female avatar here. So I'm going to go to AG. I'm going to make you the next caller. I don't know if you're using a Barbie doll as a, an avatar AG or if you're actually a female. I would like to get more women. I, <laughs> and it's a it's a rainbow high. It's uh, it looks like it's uh, going to overtake Barbie as far as sales. Fantastic. But, um, okay. That's probably salutation and uh, salutation and a question. We're in the lightning round. Yeah. So um, thank you for taking the call. I love how you're constantly connecting with people. I listen to Twist. I yeah. love All In too. Thank you. Um, so that um and and i i may be in the minority but i really do enjoy your discussions on politics because huh. i'm really interested in breaking down the information silos i think that's been going on for too long hmm. um so you know i used to listen to only cnn uh, until 2016 and then i kind of turned that off and i'm always looking for independent sources and i think this is one of the best hmm. really um and you know you all have mentioned that the news your competitor um, and most of their ratings are falling. So is there advice that you would give to the media in general to kind of help redeem themselves? That's a great, really well-considered question. Give her a thumbs up if you like that question in the chat or use the thumbs up on the bottom right of the spectacular call-in. I do have to say, shout out to David Sachs. His product's gotten better and better. Um, yeah, listen, when, you, when you're looking at traditional media, they need to keep ratings. I don't care if there's 246 people listening live right now or if there's 24. They do. Mm -hmm. And so they're fighting for their life. They're fighting to get clicks. They're fighting to get viewers. And so that just leans them towards um, doing whatever it takes. And so what does it take? 
well, pick a side has been the strategy that seems to have worked best in the media space. So if you try to split the difference and be objective and thoughtful and considered and give people a ton of time and be open-minded, well, you're not going to do as well as MSNBC courting, you know, the hysterical left or Fox courting MAGA, you know, which I don't know if they do anymore, but they did for a while. They did while it was profitable. Uh, so, you know, you're, you, I, during like the height of COVID and the height of like the Russia um, investigation, which turned out to show lots of like gnarly Russian interference in our election, even though some of my besties like to say it was a hoax. Uh, it was obviously not a hoax. If you read the Mueller report, you can find all the indictments of Russians interfering. Um, so I would listen to Ben Shapiro and then um, Rachel Maddow back to back. And it was like, wow, look, they're just both hysterically taking the most ridiculous interpretation of both sides. And I'm like, well, there's something in between here, you know, and where is that in the media mix? And it turns out it's hard to find that because that would not get your ratings. It would not get your average. And if it doesn't get your ratings, it doesn't get your advertisers. So you need only think about the business model. And there's the saying, show me incentive and I'll, I'll show you the outcome. Uh, there's a many different mm -hmm. ways people have said that. I, I, and what is your actual name? I only see AG here. I can refer to you as AG if you like. If you're trying. Yeah, actually, that is what people call it. AG it is. April Iris. Oh, okay. Um, April, is <laughs> AG. Uh, so I, I didn't want to uncloak if you're trying to keep your um, privacy, uh, which I'm fine with. So AG, I think that's, you know, you look at the incentive, you will understand the outcome. And the, that's, you know, we have no incentive other than whatever we each think on an ego basis or an outcome basis, each of us individually wants to get out of the all in pod. What do I want to get out of it? I'd like to have a really thoughtful discussion. And as moderator, mm -hmm. I would really like to keep that discussion entertaining and vibrant for the audience. And so when you hear me interject, I'm not going to use the word interrupt. When I interject, it's because I am channeling you, AG. And I'm saying, <laughs> what? And I have a better understanding of what the audience wants than anybody in the world. Because you guys tell me in my DMs, you guys slam me, all different sites tell me exactly what they want. Don't interrupt Sachs, interrupt Sachs, challenge, you know, Chamath on this, don't challenge Chamath. I have all the inputs. And so when I'm listening to folks talking on the pod, I'm just thinking, does the audience actually understand this term or this thesis? Or should we unpack it a little more? Should we go down this rabbit hole or that rabbit hole? Is it perfect? No, it can't be because not all listeners are created equal, but I'm thinking of the majority of listeners. What would they like to get out of this? What would be in their best interest as, as listeners? When I hear somebody getting too dogmatic, going on a speech, doing reading from a script perhaps, or reading from their notes, or trying to win a debate, I'm not picking any of us. All four of us could fall for that. So I'm not just talking about any one person. I'm not just talking mm -hmm. about politics. I say, mm -hmm. is the audience getting bored? annoyed, educated, all of those things. And like a Terminator, you know, when the Terminator sees everything in their eye with all the, you know, the movie Terminator, AJ, and yeah. you see like all the computer yeah. stuff going and he's making an analysis, uh, or you might see that like with the Predator. That's what I'm doing for the conversation. And I'm just thinking, boring as fuck. Let's move on. Let me get Freeberg involved. And you'll hear me say that. Hey, let me get Freeberg involved. Or, hey, Chamath, what do you think? Or let's get Sachs in here. He's the expert on SAS. So I'm just really focused as the moderator on making sure each person is putting in their 
the greatest performance possible, getting their points across as crisply. If they're saying something that doesn't make logical sense, which they may not know in the moment, many times I'll say, wait a second, what you're saying seemingly is contradicting. The people are like, oh, Jake Howe's an idiot. He's asking a stupid question. When I ask those questions, I'm not asking for me. I know what those terms mean. I'm asking on behalf of the audience and sometimes on behalf of the bestie to make sure that they are being as concise in presenting their arguments as possible. So I do think that the incentive matters and the incentive could be different for each of us. You know, for uh, Freiburg's incentive might be to, and I don't know this, but we could read into it. Like he really wants people to believe in science and understand it more. I don't know if that's the case, but I might actually think that my perception, my belief is he wants people to appreciate science more. For Sachs, I think people, he wants people to vote Republican. I really do. Like, I think he wants to win a debate and get people to vote for more conservatives. For Chamath, um, I think he, yeah, what was his motivation? I think he wants for people to understand the world better. And, you know, maybe on the margins, like all of us, he wants to, you know, expose things he's learned so that other people can be smarter. Now, the cynical way to say that would be he wants people to think he's smart. I don't think he wants the people to think he's smart. I actually don't think he cares at this point. But I do think if he has learned something, he does want to transfer it to the audience. So you can look at each person's motivation. you know. And I want to be perceived as the greatest moderator and creator of podcasts and producer of all time. And so, you know, that's why I keep creating podcasts. And, you know, there's a little bit of ego and there's a little bit of altruism, I think, in everybody. But what we don't have is a financial incentive. And that's one of the great things about there not being ads. We're not ever thinking, oh, my God, if we just got 100,000 more people here, we'd make another 10,000 a week. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably what got us. We were 28 this week on Apple. Um, you know, we always check the ratings. We want to know how we're doing. And so, listen, I think we could be the number one podcast in the world over time um, if we just really listen to each other. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Yeah. Definitely. Well, here's to many more. Uh, thank you, Ate. You're awesome. And oh my God, look, the king is here himself. Let's bring him up here. I don't know if he's willing to speak, but the king of <laughs> Colin has been invited to speak. The undeniable, the man himself, the Sultan of Sass <laughs> is here. He is now a speaker. I David got here. Sack. I got. I got here like half an hour ago, oh. but you were couldn't note. You didn't notice because you were talking so much. Well, I just go with the you know in the interface. There's so many people. And by the way, congratulations on how great this uh, app has become. Super stable, and I really I'm really good. Yeah, the team's done a great job, and I and I do next speaker. Um, that's the key here. You've made it. You've taken out so many clicks. I don't know if you did this with your you know, uh, killer product design. But when I click make, make next caller, it hangs up on the preview. And you can see how fast I can go on the lightning round. It keeps it really dynamic. So great job, David, and your team. Yeah, the team's done a great job. It's done a lot better. Uh, so you caught some of that. What did you think of the questions people had and any uh, feedback on that? This is the definition of cognitive dissonance for me. <laughs> go ahead. Listening to you bloviate and inflate your own ego and importance, <laughs> but doing it on call. <laughs> Hence the cognitive dissonance. I, I mean, I want you to be on call in, but then I have to listen to you. So. <laughs> well played. Well played, David. Um, <laughs> well, I, I was making a little bit of a joke of it telling people to give me a, a great salutation, a concise question. It's kind of fun. But, um, you know, how did you feel? I mean, I guess the audience wants to know, you know, there's just, there's this great debate about politics on the pod. Um, and when we're when it becomes too heated or 
you know, so what, what's your thoughts on politics on the pod? You and I agree we should always cover the top story of the week. There seems to be an active debate. Should we do more politics, less politics, no politics on the pod? What's your position? Well, I think the pod needs to be topical. It's not a college lecture series. And I think we need to discuss the most current events. Uh, that's what makes it interesting for the audience. So sometimes those events are politics, sometimes they're business, sometimes they're markets, sometimes they're all the above. I think it's always best when the issues are kind of all the above, you know, where there's like a tech angle and a markets angle and a politics angle, but sometimes that's not always possible. So I'm not like exclusively wedded to talking about politics, but I think it's important not to ignore if the big issue that week is political, I think it's worth talking about. I agree. Yeah, I think that's something we're in agreement on. I think the audience now expects us to cover whatever the big story of the week is. And yeah, I think sometimes there's just, you know, because the, the pod has gotten super popular, I'm curious your position on this. I think people have started to maybe expect that we are experts on everything. And I like to encourage people who really get a lot out of the pod to understand where our expertise lies. Our expertise certainly lies in company formation, capital allocation, technology, science. And then when we're talking about current events, politics, et cetera, there is a great variability there. We, we do not work in politics. You, you obviously are very active in it. Jamal's somewhat active in it and probably myself and Freeberg not active in it. But that's just the four of us shooting the shit and talking about those subjects. Do you feel like people maybe are expecting a little too much of us when we're having our casual conversation? And how does the popularity of the pod play into, I guess, what people would say is our responsibility to get it right? I mean... I, I don't know what our responsibility is. When it comes to those issues, I do some amount of research. So it's not completely shooting from the hip. At least I've thought through and read some articles about what's going on. Um, obviously, when you're dealing with politics, you're, you know, it's going to be, it's going to substantially involve your opinion, but all these things are, they're all just kind of our opinions. I, I don't know why it's a less valid area for us to discuss than anything else. What I've heard from the fans is you guys are not experts on this, but you're experts on that. We'd like you to stick to stay in your lane, you know, would be. Well, um, I, I, I totally reject that whole idea um, of experts because the whole way this pod started was during COVID when we were reacting week after week to what all the experts were telling us and how ludicrous it was. And remember, no one contradicted the experts more than the experts themselves. I mean, first they told us, if you go all the way back to January of 2020, and you had the WHO saying that COVID was not spread through human-to-human -human contact. They were claiming it was only from animals or something like that. Then they were saying that it was spread primarily through fomites. Remember that word, fomites? means surface particles, not respiratory particles. It yeah. took them forever. It took them forever to correct that. Remember, we were all wiping down our packages. It was ridiculous. Oh, God, I was on the front Remember porch that? wiping down and then, pasta. Um, and then Fauci and the, whoever the Surgeon General was, that guy, they were saying that masks didn't work. Then it turned out they were lying and they wanted to just preserve the PPE for nurses and so forth, or doctors. And uh, so then they admitted they did work. And then, you know, so it went back and forth. There's been so many things like that. So... 
this whole show started in a way because the experts kept proving that they didn't know what they were talking about. And, um, and science and, you know, a medical topic like COVID, you would think that would be an area where you, the experts would really know something and they proved over and over again, they didn't know what they were talking about. So, um, that's how the whole show started. So I don't necessarily place a ton of faith in experts. And I think there's many examples all over our society where the experts are failing and that's what's created so many problems in our society. It's definitely going to be one of the questions of our time is, you know, which institutions um, do we trust and to what extent and how do we hold them accountable for the decisions they make? And I think that is actually a place where the pod does shine is when we are, you know, the, the macro discussion comes to mind. You know, we're looking at the macro discussion and everybody has an opinion on macro and we're trying to triangulate on it and saying, like, well, what is actually happening here? How much should we raise rates? And what was the cause of this? And it is good for us to, I think, comment on those, even though none of us are, you know, macro experts. But what is a macro expert? And how are they making their decisions? And questioning their decisions, I think, is super important because our government just spent money across multiple administrations since Clinton and ran up this huge deficit. And then they're sitting here surprised, like, oh, my God, there's inflation. It's like, well, did you guys just spend money like drunken sailors for three terms, four terms? I don't know, you know, how how long that, um, you know, arrow went up into the right in terms of our deficit. But we certainly have to question them. And I think that's a great thing for the for the pod to do uh, every week is to just question the experts. Uh, I, and I agree with you. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I think it's. So if you remember back in July, just a couple months ago, there was the Gallup survey on trust in U.S. institutions. This is a survey they run every year, and it hit a record low. Um, Something like, I mean, I just Googled the article, and the the, the TLDR is that only 27% of Americans have a great deal of confidence in 14 major American institutions on average, a record low since 1979 and a 5% drop from 2021. You just go down all the categories from the president, to the Supreme Court, to Congress, to the press, uh, even the military, to the, oh my God, the press is just like at the like rock bottom. Um, but even institutions that people used to trust, the Supreme Court used to have a high rating, uh, the military used to have a high rating. Um, you know, even things like local police used to have a higher rating than it does now, and so on down the line. Um, so trust is at an all-time low in these institutions. Well, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because they are actually untrustworthy? We entrusted them too much. Do you think it's because of social media? Do you think it's because of the political times and the polarization? Why do you think it is? I think it's because a lot of these elite institutions are failing, and rather than engaging in reform, they mm. basically try to protect each other. Um, I mean, yeah. like look look at for example, so military. Okay, military used to have a very high rating. And then we had this box withdrawal from Afghanistan, and that's what caused its rating to plummet. But which heads have rolled for that? Like, where's the accountability for that? Yeah. And by the way, I wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Don't get me wrong. I supported yeah. At least Biden made the decision finally after 20 years to yes. get out of this war. So give him credit for that. However, the execution of it was an abject disaster. It was totally unnecessary. Um, but where, where's the accountability for that? You know, and WMDs, like, remember that whole debacle? And, like, where's the accountability for that? I mean, I know we nobody, did an investigation into it, but nobody loses their job. 
That's the nobody problem. loses like, their job. Yeah. So exactly. This is one of my big critiques of our foreign policy is that there's a foreign policy elite that's been wrong war after war after war. And I mean, they're one of the most wrong institutions in America. I mean, look at this. We just got out of Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya. I mean, we fought something like seven wars in the last 20 years. We didn't win any of them. So, but where's the accountability for that? And so we're dealing with, I think, a crisis of, of institutional failure. And I think even worse, a unwillingness of those institutions to reform themselves or hold their members accountable. That's the, it's have, that's, the have a, that's the reason we have a populist backlash in America right now is because yeah. people see all these elitists failing and there's no comeuppance for them. Yeah, there's a competence issue and then, uh, you know, taking ownership issue. Yeah, it's consequences and competence. Both of these things, we, would, we need to have more competence in each of these institutions and more transparency. You know, if the, I think if Fauci and these folks said, we don't know the origin of this, we don't know what's best. Uh, we're going to figure it out over time. Obviously, you know, less contact with humans is going to lower the number of, uh, you know, um, the chances of you getting infected. We know that, but we're just going to every day share with you more information. We're not going to try to manipulate you one way or the other. Um, you know, it would have been a much better outcome for them. But it's hard. It's, I think it's hard for sometimes people to just be honest. And they are almost like trying to level people, like the manipulation and the the geopolitics of it, like, we, we can't actually question if this thing came from a lab. Remember that whole thing? And now it's like oh, pretty much yeah. consensus. Like, okay, it did come from a lab, but if you said it, you're going to get banned from one of the platforms for saying you think that maybe. Well, exactly. Yeah, this is, well, the, the, this, this is my problem with censorship on social media is it has yeah. become a bodyguard for these failing elites. I mean, we weren't allowed to question the origin of the virus. We weren't allowed to question the, the lab leak on social media. Why? I mean, who are they protecting? Um, and yeah, you well, saw that, you that, yeah. that, who that are they the, protecting? <laughs> when all those emails at the NIH came out under the Freedom of Information Act, emails between Fauci and Francis Collins, there was um, some really important revelations. I think at the very beginning of COVID, they had meetings with eminent scientists who said, listen, this thing has, you look at it under a microscope, it's got a bunch of fingerprints that look like it might have come out of the lab. And yet, yep. a few days later, they were saying, in the words, I think, of Francis Collins, that they needed to, to engage in a, quote, vicious takedown of the, the idea of it being a lab leak. Why? Why was it necessary for them to basically engage in a PR well, campaign to brand anyone who just merely wanted to investigate the issue in good faith as being some sort of crazy conspiracy theorist? I think uh, we know why. I mean, it's because who... What is the geo? I mean, I guess if you were doing game theory, the geopolitical cost of blaming China when you need PPE from China or whatever was probably part of their, or you need drugs or whatever is probably part of their. Just they didn't want to piss off Xi Jinping. That's my guess. I mean, if you look at game theory, that's probably well, think, why they didn't do it. I think they clearly had an agenda, and it was not the the agenda was not the science. The agenda was they wanted to stifle that investigation. For I mean, I think there's a number of reasons why, but uh, the point is they were not honest and they've lost yeah. credibility and you see that in the gallup polling uh is and yet there's no real comeuppance for that there's no real accountability no. or reform and well, so I think the, the american electorate is going to remain in a dyspeptic mood uh towards these elites and want to keep throwing them out until they see some real change in some ways i think the pod and podcasting 
writ large is a reaction to this. You know, you, you don't feel like you're getting the full story from media. You feel like you're being manipulated, you know, on both sides, whether it's MSNBC or Fox. You feel like they've got their thumb on the scale and they're doing it for ratings. I think podcasting, the longer form, is because people don't trust what they're getting from media. And they actually really do care about figuring out the truth. We all do. It's a human instinct to want to understand the world. And so where can you get that long conversation where people are going to try to triangulate on what is the actual truth here? I think that's when we're doing our best on the pod. I think it's when we're having those discussions where we're trying to figure it out ourselves. All right, everybody. This has been uh, After All In with David Sachs. <laughs> you want to take a question? You want to take a question from the audience? Sure. Yeah. Let's. let's uh, I mean, it's called I'm call not the mod, so you're gonna have to do it. All right. If you want to ask David specifically a question, you guys ask me questions for an hour and ten. I want a David question for for David the Dove? If you have a question for David the Dove, as I've dubbed him. All right. Looks like. Uh, well, I guess I'll just go with the next caller. David, you're on. Do you have a question for David the Dove? You can unmute yourself. Okay, you don't want to take it. Oh, here we go. Christopher, Christoph, uh, Vulcan. Uh, I'm going to make you the next caller. Do you have a question for David the Dove? Hello? Yes, sir. Do you have uh, a question yeah. for David? Thanks for taking my call. You're, you're a great moderator, Jason. Yeah, my oh, question for you. David is, yeah, just what sources do you use to follow the Ukraine war? Because um, I think mainstream media kind of has its flaws, but it seems like every source out there is biased. So I'm just curious. All right, I think I'll hand this one over to David. David, you you uh, seem to have a pretty wide ranging media input for this. Uh, what what are the you you've sent a couple of newsletters that are more independent or indie? Well, how do you try to triangulate this news? Well, it's a good question because what I've realized about foreign policy is that if you think the Overton window is small and policy. It's even narrower on foreign policy. It really is amazing how both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats and the mainstream media, really consolidate behind a certain narrative and you really can't get another point of view. So you have to work a little bit to, to see the other uh, side of this thing. And, and I'm not talking about the Russian side. I could care less what the Russians per se think. I'm talking about um, a, a point of view on this that is more about, I, I would call it realism and restraint. Uh, that's sort of the, the sort of foreign policy school thought that I subscribe to, uh, looking at the world through more of a realist lens and having a more restrained view of United States' uh, military intervention in the world. And the reason I have that view is you just look at what's happened in the last 20 years. You know, it's been, yeah, proofs it's been in the pudding. The results failed, have been dismal. Yeah. One failed war after another. You know, the... Um, the, the human cost of this, there was a study by Brown University called the Cost of War Study, and it basically has tallied up the cost of our you know, so-called war on terror over the last 20, 21 years. And it's something like roughly a million people uh, have died uh, as, as a direct consequence of all the wars that we fought. Um, and it's, it's not just Iraq and Afghanistan, it's also places like Syria has been uh, a disaster. There's been Libya and there's been a number of other places where we fought this this war on terror and it's cost us something like $8 trillion. And there's been very little reckoning and accountability about that. And, and by the way, that's just direct cost. There was another study which was based on excess mortality uh, in these places. 
Uh, and it estimated that something like 5 million people have died. You got to remember that first night of, uh, I guess it was Desert Storm when we did the so-called shock and awe. What does that mean? We bombed their, you know, the, the water treatment plants, their sewage plants. I mean, we basically sent them back to the Stone Age overnight. I mean, their civilization was basically destroyed. And, you know, think about what that's done to uh, life expectancy in those areas. So in any event, you know, after that experience, the last 20 years, I didn't start out this way in college. I thought like the Iraq war made sense like everybody else. But you look back and you see what a failure all these interventions have been. And you realize, you know, hey, maybe I should be listening to some other voice on this. So, you know, I, I started looking around who was right about all these interventions. And if you go and look, there are precious few people who predicted what a mess it would be, but there are some. So if you go read John Mearsheimer, who's a professor at the University, University of Chicago, he's one of the leading realist thinkers, but you know he's been right about everything over the last 20 years. He was right about the Iraq war being a fiasco, and he was one of a limited number of professors who's willing to stick their neck out, writing a letter in 2003 condemning the war. And you know he was called a traitor, just like everyone else who opposed the war, just like now if you express uh, you know, any sort of divergent thought about the Ukraine war, you're called, you know, an agent of the, the Kremlin, or you're basically uh, spouting Putin talking points. So look, this has been going on for a long time. But, you know, Mearsheimer predicted the Iraq war, he predicted that our policy of constructive engagement towards China would fail, that all we would do is make them rich and strong, and a competitor to the US. He's been proven right about that. He predicted in 2014, that our policy towards Ukraine uh, would lead the country to get wrecked. Uh, and he's been right about that. Um, so he's one of them. And, you know, he's, he's a realist thinker. There's a guy named Steve Walt who's published with Mearsheimer before, another realist thinker. Uh, I think Walt said Harvard, uh, Mearsheimer is the University of Chicago. You should listen to the international development economist, Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, no relation to me. His last name is spelled S-A-C-H-S. And uh, he spent his entire career working on, you know, international development, third world countries, helping them advance themselves to having modern economies. He was there in Russia in the 1990s, helping to move their economy from communism to uh, a free market. And he he was there when uh, Gorbachev's government collapsed and uh, Yeltsin took over. And he, you know, he's well sourced there. And he's a liberal. I mean, he is, he was friends with Obama and very well sourced in uh, democratic administrations. So you should listen to people like that. He'll tell you what's really going on with this Ukraine war. Uh, there's do you a, listen to the uh, Goodfellas podcast from the Hoover Institute? Yeah, I do. I listen to, I listen to Goodfellas too. There, It's a podcast by the Hoover Institution. Um, not bad. Uh, it's not bad. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you with, um, so, what, you know, when I was a student at Stanford, Hoover really represented a bastion of alternative thought that you couldn't get on the Stanford campus. I think, sadly, today, there isn't really that much of a difference in the foreign mm -hmm. policy thinking that happens at Stanford and at Hoover. I mean, Goodfellas had the Stanford professor, Michael McFaul, on. He's this um, hysterical, uh, you know, advocate of us getting in World War III, basically, with Russia. I mean, he wanted, uh, he would put American boots on the ground there if he could. And really, to be quite honest, there's not a huge difference between his point of view and someone like H.R. Um, McMaster, who was um, the national security advisor, I believe, under Trump. I mean, they are both effectively neocons. Uh, there's nowhere they wouldn't put in uh, troops. I mean, H.R. McMaster 
thought it was hasty for us to be leaving Afghanistan after 20 years of, of uh, accomplishing almost yeah. nothing there. So in any I mean, event, shout out I mean, to Barack Obama. Barack Obama was against the Iraq war, right? He was like um, one of the reasons I think he got elected. Which, Obama, know, Obama yes, you're, you're exactly right. So Obama had the right instincts on foreign policy. The reason he was elected is because he did oppose the Iraq war, unlike Hillary Clinton. By the way, I mean, you know, Jason, one of the ways that you're off base about accusing me of being, you know, GOP talking points or something like that is my views on foreign policy don't neatly line up. Uh, no, not at all. Either not party. Yeah, no, I, um, don't, I, don't, I don't think And that, Obama, you know, Obama was not only right about Iraq, he was correct about how to handle the Ukraine situation. We could have had this war back in 2014, and you know the neocons wanted us to escalate in 2014 and get into a shooting war with the Russians over Crimea, and Obama pulled the plug on them. And if you go back and read the Obama Doctrine, it's an article in the Atlantic Magazine, in the interview, he explains why. He basically explains the United States does not have a vital national interest in Ukraine, whereas the Russians do. It's in their backyard, and we've got to think really carefully about what American vital interests are. Um, I think that if Obama had been calling the shots, if he had been president last year instead of Biden, I don't think we'd be in this war, because I think we would have found a diplomatic solution. Um, so in any event, you know, so, so these things do not line up neatly along partisan lines. But No, not at all. Uh, but, um, you know, another good source that you should read is the Quincy Institute is a is a you know, nonpartisan think tank that uh, believes in a more restrained U.S. foreign policy. They've got a uh, publication called um, I think it's Responsible Statecraft. Uh, but if you if you go find uh, them on, you know, QI Quincy Institute on Twitter, you'll you'll see their their publication, they publish a lot of interesting stuff. And by the way, on top of that, I also read, um, you know, foreign policy and foreign affairs, the two leading, um, you know, foreign policy journals. So look, I'm well aware of what the uh, the other side says on this war. How can you not be? It's the only perspective you get from the mainstream media. It's just that I don't find it very convincing once you actually uh, read the other side of this debate, especially when you consider the track record of the various people involved. I mean, keep in mind that if John Mearsheimer was an investor, he'd be treated like Warren Buffett. I mean, the guy is basically corrected, correctly predicted, you know, every major foreign policy crisis over the last 20 years. And yet he's basically been excommunicated from the foreign policy establishment. Why? Because he criticizes them. He, he yeah. critiques them. All right, let's take a final question here. Andrew, do you want to? I got another. Which Andrew do I have here? I'll make Andrew the next caller. Concise question if you have one for Mr. Sachs. I do. Thank you. Uh, David, many social media or alternative media platforms face the challenge um, of being deemed as right wing or right wing hubs because of how many right wingers end up. Uh, seeking out a space for free speech. And I'm of the left, and I appreciate that you have figures like Aaron Maté and Abby Martin and her brother on your on your platform. And I'm wondering if this is an issue that you considered when you founded Call-In and how you view the issue of the optics of Call-In, um, not letting it fall into the trope of being like a right-wing echo chamber, because I don't think that's uh, been applied. It's not a label that anyone's tried to apply to Call-In. Yeah, I mean, I think we try to, in in sort of seeding the platform, we try to get interesting, independent voices. You could think of it sort of broadly speaking as the Substack crowd. We thought that was sort of the sweet spot to seed the platform with. And we like to expand it from there. 
Um, I mean, I have no problem with, you know, right-wing conservative voices being on the platform. They should be on here along with everybody else. But I think in terms of seeding it, we didn't want it to be just one uh, narrow part of the ideological spectrum. And so we kind of went for more of that, like, offbeat, independent sort of substack vibe. By the way, the folks on this platform, like Aaron Mate, and then he has um, he's part of a larger publication called Gray Zone, and Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, they've all written uh, really interesting things about um, Ukraine, among many other topics. And if you want an alternative point of view on what's going on there, you definitely want to pay attention to their substacks and their uh, their podcasts here. You know, by the way, like so many of these labels don't even make sense anymore. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is, and Jake, you should really take this into consideration the next time you try to label me GOP or something like that is, you know, if you go back to the 1960s and the protesters, the Vietnam War, you know, you think about them being your classic liberal. What do they stand for? They were anti-war. They were anti-censorship. Um, they believed in free speech, free expression. They were, um, you know, they were suspicious of government power, especially state military power and, you know, state, federal state police power. You know, like the and they were anti-establishment exactly and they they weren't you know they, you could say they were also maybe anti-monopoly they were, were not they were suspicious towards big powerful corporations well if you express those views today where are you likely to be categorized on the political spectrum they're liable to call you a crazy right winger but i, I, I haven't tell, changed I tell i'm a classical I'm, I'm a i'm more like a 1960s liberal but for some reason, that's not considered a crazy right wing position. I don't think so. Well, I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the Republican desire to insert themselves into people's personal life all of a sudden, whether it's abortion, gay marriage, you know, and other issues, that is strange. Like that was something they that Republicans had a lock on. Like we are not, those, we don't those, want those to be involved. Those are the old social issues. Those are the old social yeah. issues. I think they're the new social issues. Um, and I think that um, I, I uh, the, the abortion issue is now a live issue again because of the Dobbs decision. But uh, I don't think that uh, gay marriage is really in doubt. It's, I don't think it's in any jeopardy. I think the other side has uh, incentive to inflate the threat that the Supreme Court might, you know, overturn gay marriage. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, there's, you know, Gorsuch recently had a ruling uh, that expanded, uh, you know, gay rights. So I just think that that's not realistic. They're basically the, the the they want to inflate that threat. And it's based on one paragraph of a of a uh, Thomas dissent, uh, which uh, which the uh, majority opinion did not go along with. And in fact, I think Kavanaugh wrote a uh wrote a a separate opinion just to say he disagreed with it so it had one vote this was yeah this no was i mean it would be a very justice it'd be another and even even alito even alito in that dobbs decision specifically said that it did not apply as a precedent to other privacy decisions like but yet you can understand why anybody who is, I can understand seen, why people yeah, you can would. understand why people are a little yeah concerned at this point with how the supreme court you know has been stacked uh, let me ask you a question. You think Trump's going to run again? And then what do you do as a conservative um, if he does run? I'm on the DeSantis train, so I've already explained that. But, but what if he does run? What do you do? I mean, I'm you know, support, I'm I'm on the DeSantis train. I've already said. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I just think it's 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 becoming apparent he's going to run, right? Chances. What do you think? I've said I've said that. I think it's just as likely that we could have a rematch of Trump Biden as we could DeSantis Newsom in twenty four. So yeah. I think I think it's going to be those four characters. I don't know what the configuration will be. Mm. I do think that the country wants some some fresh young blood. So whichever party is smart enough to nominate the younger version, yeah, the pairings, yeah, will <laughs> I think have an advantage. It's going to be quite a it's going to be quite, quite a battle royale uh, in either case. All right, this has been uh, after all in. Uh, thanks to David for building the platform. 144 minutes in, 255 of you live. Uh, and we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming on, Dave.